guys so much for allowing me to be here this morning. I'm excited to jump into this Roman series with you guys, and I want to say on behalf of of our church, uh, Mission Oak Church, uh, and my wife who is here with us, that we thank you guys for being willing to partner with us in the work of the ministry and helping us uh, financially uh, get things going. And so uh, God has truly blessed what we're doing already. We have uh, it's been a year now since we've said that we're going to launch in Black Mountain. And uh, when we first mentioned that this is what we were going to do, uh, we had 42 people say, we want to come with you. And so we immediately had 42 people on our core team. We've been meeting uh, since January on Sunday evenings to do Bible study, prayer walks, leadership equipping for, for what happens in a church plant. And, uh, and we also now have a place that we are meeting uh, a, a local congregation of Black Mountain is sharing their space with us, and we're so grateful to be able to rub shoulders with them with the gospel ministry work. So on behalf of all of us, I just want to say thank you guys for partnering with us, and thank you for having me here this morning. I'm going to be in Romans uh, chapter 8. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 5, and I will end us in verse 11. Um, so if you would, read with me. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh... But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time uh, as we dive into your word. Uh, God, I pray that you open our ears, open our hearts to hear your truth. I pray uh, that you would convict all of our hearts um, for what you have to say to us this morning. We praise you that we get to lift your name and exalt your name here together as a body. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So a buddy of mine uh, that I was on staff with at Grace uh, recently went through this endeavor to lose a lot of weight. Over the past year, he decided to embark on this uh, new endeavor in his life, and so I checked in with him this week to, to see how he was doing. Uh, one year ago, he was at his max weight, which was 350 pounds. Today, he is 225 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, and so I was just astonished, astonished at what he's been able to do in one year, 125 pounds lighter. And what I've noticed in him over the past year is that he was truly dedicated to this. He truly set his mind on making sure that he lost weight, so much so that it affected every part of his life, every part. When we would go out for like staff lunches or whatever, it didn't matter what everybody else was getting. 
He knew that he was going to eat something nutritious with good portion and he was going to stick to it. And afterward, if we, were, if we were to go out somewhere and get ice cream or milkshakes or cake or anything of that nature, he would just not eat it. He would just sit there and watch us eat. Like the most self-control of any one human I've ever seen in my entire life, legitimately. And then when we got back to the office, he would have phone calls that he would, he, he would need to make. And so he'd go outside, and when he would go outside, he would put his headphones in make these phone calls just doing laps in the parking lot, just getting his steps in. And then when he would go home that night, he has a pretty long driveway. He would power walk in his driveway just up and down for like over an hour. This guy was dedicated. And now the fruit of that, we see he's down 125 pounds in just one year. He set his mind on this. And what we see here in Romans chapter 8, what we see here is that Paul is going to use similar language here in Romans to help us set our minds on the right things. The truth, the the main idea that we see here in Romans chapter 8 in these few verses is this. Set your mind on the Spirit who dwells in you. Set your mind on the Spirit who dwells in you. This phrase, set your mind, is only used four times in all of Scripture, and all four of them are right here. And this is kind of an abstract phrase, like what does that actually mean? Uh, in the Greek it means to direct your will. It's intentional. It's putting your whole self in that direction. Set your mind, uh, bend your will, direct your will in this way. And it goes against the grain in, in popular church culture that we will just become more like Christ accidentally. Right, like, 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 I just, I just hope that uh, maybe that I'll just be more like Christ tomorrow because I did this one thing really well. No, Paul is saying that we must set our minds on this, and it should affect every part of our lives. Every part. He's writing to the church in Rome, and the culture around what is happening here to the, in the Roman church is that the Roman uh, culture uh, was all about fleshly desires. They even, uh, they even worshipped the human body and the sensations that the human body could give you. That's the context in which the Roman church was living. So Paul writes these words to these believers in the middle of this context He is reminding them to set their minds on the spirit, not the flesh. And so we see two truths here in in these passages here. The first one is this. Flesh equals death. Flesh equals death. And the word flesh in the Greek has has two different meanings. One is the, the meaning, right? Our, our, our actual mortal bodies, these bodies right here, our actual flesh and blood. But it also means carnal minds. Our carnal minds. And now we have to understand too is that this is a, this is a continuation of what has just been said. So here comes Alan Michael preaching from Romans chapter 8, just randomly starting in verse 5, like mid-paragraph. Uh, when we have to remember as Paul is writing this letter, this is one continuous thought. So what we see in verses 5 through 11 are are predicated on what he has already said in these 
previous verses, which is this, that we can walk in the Spirit due to Jesus' sacrifice. Right? So Jesus, who perfectly embodied the very thing that Paul says that we should do to deny the flesh and set our mind on the Spirit, direct our will in this direction and follow in his ways, Jesus did this perfectly that led him to the cross to atone for our sins so that we may be free. So what Paul is saying, hey, this is what Jesus did. Now in light of what Jesus did, this is who you are, and now do this. Do this in light, as, in light of what has happened to you. So now we stand at a crossroad, the crossroad of setting our mind on the spirit, setting our mind on the flesh. In chapter one of Romans, Paul explains the fruit and nature of those who live according to the flesh. And now we see here in verse five, a cause and effect, right? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And so you might be asking, well, which one comes first? Those who, does live according to the flesh come before set your mind on the things of the flesh? Or is it you set your mind on the things of the flesh and then you're living according to the flesh? And the answer is yes. It's both. To live according to the flesh is to set your mind on the flesh. So then what's the product? Well, that's verse 6. For to set your mind on the flesh is, what's that word? Death. To set your mind on the flesh is death. Why is it death? Because flesh is meant for death. This flesh, skin and uh, flesh, blood, veins, all this, and carnal minds. No matter which way you look at it, meant for death. Our mortal bodies are not meant to last forever. I drive a Jeep Liberty. I've had this Jeep for six, seven years, seven years probably. It's somewhere like that. But every year that goes by, I spend more money on this Jeep just to keep it drivable. Right? Anybody else have this issue? Like, like a year after I brought my Jeep, I remember somebody told me that Jeep actually stands for just empty every pocket. And I was like, man, you're a year too late, right? And that has been absolutely true. I spend more money on brakes than I've ever spent in my life. Uh, and then, of course, once you get the brakes fixed, the next week you need new tires. Then the week after that you need a new alternator. And then the week after that, you, it, just, it just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. Why? Because my Jeep is not going to last. It's not meant to last. It's going to rust and die away. Our bodies are this way too. They're not, these bodies are not meant to last. They will pass away. But what about the carnal mind? You ever had a fight with your spouse or a sibling and you find yourself defending yourself even though you know you're wrong? So what our carnal minds naturally do is preserve ourselves. We do. We defend and preserve ourselves even when we know that we are wrong, and that will lead us to death. Husbands, we shouldn't argue with our wives. They're right anyway, right? It only leads to death if we argue. So, yes, ma'am, right? I'm just kidding. But our carnal minds will preserve ourselves, and that leads to death. Why? Because we were not made to defend and preserve ourselves. We were made to glorify and worship God. 
that is what we were made for, to lay ourselves down for him. That's what we were made for. To set your mind on the flesh is to live according to the flesh, and it undoubtedly leads to death. Tim Keller's book, uh, Prodigal God, he spends an entire chapter talking about how we are longing for our heavenly home, the place where we will find eternal rest forever. Why? Because this place will continually leave us empty. And he gets two reasons why. First is the brokenness within human beings. The brokenness within us. We are broken. And here's the reality. It's okay. For some reason, we've got this mix, we've got this so confused that we are not allowed to say that we're broken. We are. We are broken. And we are longing for home. The second reason is the brokenness around human beings, right? That's easier to spot. You just turn on CNN or Fox News. Tons of brokenness around us, correct? As a matter of fact, what we will often say is that we're longing for a new place because and only because of the brokenness around us, not because of us. No. What we have to understand is that there's brokenness around us because we are broken. When Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve sinned, sin also entered into all of creation. Later in Romans chapter 8, Paul deals with that. That it is groaning in pain, longing for this day too. We are. And so is creation. Because we ourselves are broken. We were made for the garden to have perfect communion with God, perfect communion with each other, and perfect communion with creation. And due to sin, it's all broken. And ever since that point, we've been longing for that again. And this morning, you may be wrestling with this right now. And you may have felt it for some time, but you've not been exactly sure what it is. The brokenness around us. Jump down to verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we know that uh, setting your mind on the flesh leads to death, but it also says here that those who are are hostile toward God, which means that we are enemies. We have enmity with God, and because we are enemies, cannot submit to God's law. When we are in the flesh, we are enemies, and we cannot please God. So what does this look like? Well, for you this morning, for you it could be an unrepentant recurring sin cycle in your life. That there's sin that you, you've been hiding, but you keep going back to it, whether it's pornography, whether it's adultery, whether it's lust, whether it's greed, whatever it is, you, you, you've, you've hidden it deep inside, and it's something that you just keep coming back to. But it's, it's not always, it doesn't always look gloomy either. This can also look like a successful businessman who's picked him up by his own bootstraps and has made himself a nice, wealthy lifestyle. 
But now that business has become all he thinks about. It becomes his ultimate thing. It becomes his God thing. So how do we, how do we know if that's us? Think about this. If that thing was to be taken away, could you imagine life without it? And if you cannot imagine life without that thing, then it may mean that you've put that thing in the place of God in your life. Which may mean that you're living in the flesh. What about, not about me though, right? Like I, I go to church, I'm here at New Life, I tithe every week, I sing, sing these beautiful worship songs, lift my hand. We can, those people, including me, can be just as susceptible to this because we can often maybe go through the motions for, for praise from other people. And if that's you this morning, then that's just as sinful. And notice this is not moralistic teaching, right? Because even before this, Paul even says, the law has no bearing on believers. So the goal isn't just for you to be better, do more, do better. That's not the teaching that Paul is giving. No, a lot of people are doing what they should do, but are still far from God. Jesus even said that, that many will say to me on the last day, that did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? And Jesus' response is, depart from me, for I never knew you. So then what's the answer? We have a heart problem, and we need a new heart. That's the answer. We need a new heart within us. This is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees come to him and they say, hey, your disciples are eating food, but they're not washing their hands. They're defiling their bodies because they're eating unclean food because of their unclean hands. You know what Jesus' response to the Pharisees are? Mark 7, verses 20 through 22. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man... Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus didn't have to make that list so extensive. He kept going. But here's something to think about too. If we look at all these all these things that he mentions here and we look at them and define them on the way that Jesus defined them, then at any given day, our minds have gone through every one of those. That is carnal minds that come from a broken heart. We need a new heart. We need new life within us. And we can't give it to ourselves. And so you're like, man, you're spending a lot of time on this flesh part. Yeah. Paul deals with the flesh a lot in Romans. And we also have to, to see these phrases up here. We have to see these and understand that at any given moment, we can fall into these, if not all of them. Why? Because we're broken. Because we're broken. 
but there's hope. Because Paul doesn't stop talking here, right? He keeps going. There's more to come. So the first truth is that the flesh equals death, but the second is that the spirit equals life. Spirit equals life. Look in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Paul turns the corner here, right? You believers in Rome, you are not living according to the flesh because you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now dwells inside of you, lives inside of you. And if he's living inside of you truly, you cannot be hostile toward God. Why? Because now the Holy Spirit, one of the trinity of the Godhead, is now living inside of you. But I want, us to, I want us to see this too. It says here that those who do not have the Holy Spirit does not belong to Him. And if that's true, then the opposite is true. For those of us who have the Holy Spirit, we belong to Him. And I want us to sit on that for just a second. I want us to stop and pause because we went through all these things of the flesh and here in a second we're going to get into some, we're going to dive into some uh, theology, some deep theology, but I want us to sit in this for just a second that in the midst of all this crossroads, spirit, flesh, setting your mind, all that, there is this truth that we can so easily skip across when we read scripture, but this is what this says. If the Holy Spirit lives in us and we are in Christ, we're believers in Christ, then we belong to God. We are his. We are his children. And that right there is something that you could sit in the rest of your life. As a matter of fact, you should sit in that the rest of your life. That we belong to the eternal creator of the universe. The one who, who, who made us when he didn't have to. Who gives us the very breath that's in our lungs right now. And then even though we were sinful beings straying far from him. Who would send his son Jesus Christ to go onto the cross. And atone for our sins so that we could be his. We're his. It reminds me of the Old Testament exile, Ezekiel, who is prophesying to Judah, the southern kingdom. They've been taken over by Babylon. Things are not good. They're in a hopeless situation. God gives Ezekiel this vision, the valley of dry bones. He's going to take these dead bones. He's going to bring them together, put flesh on them, and then he's going to breathe his life into this army, and they're going to all come to life. The very same Hebrew word that says that he breathed into Adam at the very beginning, he says, I'm going to breathe into this army and they're going to come to life. And in Ezekiel 37, 27, this is what God says. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so for, for Judah, the southern kingdom, all they saw was that, okay, he's going to restore us to our land. His dwelling place is going to be in the temple with us and that we are going to be his people. He's going to be our God. But on this side of salvation history, we see that God's dwelling place now lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we are his people. 
We cannot miss this. God is not just some distant deity of whom we serve at his pleasure. He is a personal God of whom we are his possession, his children, and he loves us. And it would be irrational for us to read here in Romans 8 and miss the hope and the joy of being reminded who we belong to. Verse 10, but if, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So here we see it, right? The spirit equals life. Why? Because of righteousness. And if you break the word righteousness down in its purest form, it means rightness with the Father. We are right. Our relationship with God the Father has been restored. No longer hostile, right? Because if you look up back up in verse 6, but to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. That word peace is the exact opposite of hostile. So that is what the Spirit gives us, peace with the Father. He says that the body is dead because of sin, and now the Spirit lives within you and gives you life because of righteousness. So to, to make this easy for you, there's going to be on the screen so you understand exactly what I'm saying. Flesh equals death because of sin. Spirit equals life because of righteousness. True life comes from being right with God. Now look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit who brought Jesus Christ back from the dead is the same spirit who lives inside of you. So, so if the Holy Spirit can raise Christ up out of the grave, how much more life do you think that he can give to you and me? Paul is reminding them of this hope of the Holy Spirit living. So we're going to dive, it's going to be a little bit deep here, okay? So don't we already have life as believers? Because this says that he will give us life in our mortal bodies. Again, the answer is yes. And we're going to dive in why. We're going to dive into that. So it's both. Yes, we already have life, but he will also be giving us life. The Spirit has made us righteous, but he is also growing us in righteousness. All right? So there are two words uh, in theology that we use to understand these two. One of them is used extensively in the book of Romans, uh, and that is justification. Justification is the single act of being declared righteous. It's at the point of conversion when you follow Christ that God says, you have been justified, you are now righteous. But then there's also a process of being made holy, and that word is sanctification. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. Paul speaks to justification in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. We are justified through grace in Christ Jesus. Hebrews speaks to sanctification, Hebrews chapter 10 for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
sanctification is a process. We have been stamped righteous, but we must have a process of holiness. Why? Because we're, we can no longer live in the flesh. But for any of you who have been a Christian of any amount of time, you know that you're not just all of a sudden a holy person. Like, I'm just not all of a sudden not mad at road bikers, so I get behind this morning on the way here on this, on this riverside road, right? The, the frustration you feel, right? Like I've been a believer for many years, and like I still am like, ugh, get off the road, right? There is a process, because we're not just... We don't just arrive. We don't just accept Christ and be like, oh, next Billy Graham, there he is. No, there's a process of growth that we have to have. Why? Because we are broken beings who still have this flesh. We have to grow. Both is happening to us, so we can't forget this language, and we can't miss this here in Romans. Both justification and sanctification are things that happen to us not things that happen because of us. This is crucial. These two events are things that are happening to us. The language is passive, which means it's happening from somewhere else. This reminds me of my friend Adrian, my best friend, who, who recently, him and his wife, uh, were able to build a house. And I remember driving by. Uh, uh, it's right there on the highway in McDowell County, and you would drive by. One day you'd drive by, and all of a sudden there was a there was a concrete foundation, right? Then the next day, uh, or several days later, drive by, and there were studs up on the side of the house. And then you go back another time, and the roof is up. And then you go back another time, and the siding is up. Now you can't even see inside. So then you go inside, and then all of a sudden the insulation is up, and the sheetrock is up. And then another day you go in, and, and, and it's painted, and there's cabinets, right? And the flooring is down, right? So every time I passed it, something had been progressing. Something had been happening, and I didn't do anything to help it. That's what's happening inside of us. Something is happening inside of us. The Spirit is moving inside of us, and it's not because we are doing this great, amazing work. It's the Spirit working within us to grow us. He is doing the work. We are the recipients of that. So we've, we've gone pretty heavy in this section. And I want to bring it down for just a second because you may be sitting in here and you may be like, wow, that's a lot. But one of the things is that you may feel like you're not growing right now. Like you said that the Spirit's working in me, but I don't feel like, like I'm growing towards holiness or, or maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you're like, I'm in a place where I feel like I'm growing further away from God. Could be a couple things. The first is something that we've already mentioned earlier. It could be that you are sitting here with unrepentant sin in your heart. And that sin is, is keeping you from God. It's separating you from Him. That's what sin does. And so you, you're in this cycle and you can't, you can't break away from it. And what I'm going to say to you is that, that this unrepentant sin leads to death. It is acting in the flesh. It is living in the flesh. This has been a theme through all of Scripture. As I said earlier, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve's sin separated them from communion with God, and they were cast out. And if you're here today, and that's where you are, and you're thinking, I, I have this sin. It's keeping me from Him. 
well then there's hope for you today. There's hope. The God that we worship, the God that we've been singing about this morning is a God full of forgiveness. And it's not like he has a, a tank where he's like, you know, you've been forgiven, you know, six times. One more and you're tapped out. That's it. No, God doesn't run out of forgiveness. He is forgiveness. That's who he is. And so when you come to him with your, with your burdens and your sin and your struggles and your shame, he is there offering forgiveness each time. Lamentation says that I'm, I'm given new mercies every single morning and he gives you enough for today. And you have that here. Scripture says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guys, that's part of sanctification. Confess. He is waiting with open arms to forgive you. Second, it could be that you're sitting in here and you don't know Christ at all. That the Christ of which that Paul is writing about the Christ that we are proclaiming uh, from this stage, the one we see in this word, the one we sing about, you actually don't know him. And if that is you here today, there's hope for you too. Because the same Jesus that offers forgiveness offers salvation to you right now. He wants you to come back. He wants you to come to him. There is enough forgiveness for you. There is mercy for you. There is grace for you. And all you have to do this morning is say, Jesus, I am yours. Later in Romans, he says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again, you will be saved. So if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, there's no better time than today. And all of this, this, this right here, again, goes against culture, right? The, the, the reality that we should admit when we are wrong. But what would happen if we began a movement right here saying, God, I am wrong, you are right, and I need you. I'm wrong, you're right, and I need you. Paul's saying, set your mind on the spirit that dwells inside of you. To set your mind on the spirit, part of it means that we must eliminate distractions that are around us. Eliminating the distractions that are keeping our eyes and our mind off of him. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The author of Hebrews says, in order to run this race, we have to lay aside all the weight, all the sin, and we got to keep our eyes set on one place. The author the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning, we want you to, to lay it all aside, to get rid of the distractions so that you can set your mind and direct your will onto the Spirit.
One last thing of instruction, of application as we, as we land the plane on this is this. One of the things that we can't do, and sometimes we fall into this pit trap uh, or this pitfall of, of uh, Christianity is think, well, I just have to deny the flesh. Okay? So just denying the flesh and not reorienting your will on something will most likely lead you to fall back into the flesh. Instead, you deny the flesh and then you reorient yourself to a new goal. The Spirit who dwells inside of you. Set your mind on that. Not on the flesh. On that. Walk in His ways. Go that direction and let Him grow you. As I was preparing this sermon, the Lord was just speaking to me and one of the one hymn came to my mind as I was doing, as I was writing through this and I was praying through this and as the Lord was convicting me because here's the truth, this sermon was meant for me. It has been preached to me all week. <laughs> Y'all are just getting one dose. Like, I got it every day. It was getting annoying there for a little bit. What he was doing in me through this text it's unbelievable, and I'm so thankful. But the hymn that comes to mind, Come Now Found, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God, in my hands, I will continue to break this, but in yours, you will grow it. You will give it life. And so this morning, if you are there, I pray that you give it to him. Father, we come to you just grateful of your love for us. Father, I want to lift up all those in this room who they're sitting here and they have something that's going on in their lives that is keeping them from you I pray that this morning like David prayed in Psalm 139 search me oh God find any grievous way in me God I pray that in your spirit you would come inside of them that you would illuminate their hearts to the sins that they have that are keeping them from you that you convict them of those sins that they would turn away and to direct their gaze at you Father I lift up those who are here been walking in darkness I pray that you shed light I pray Father for the ones who are here who have never put their faith in you Lord I just pray that today would be the day that you send the Holy Spirit to come in them to transform them into a new creation that you would give them life today and as you say in Romans 6, that we were baptized into the likeness of his death, raised to walk through the power of the Holy Spirit and newness of life. I pray that today that would happen among those who are here who have not put their faith in you. God, you are so good. And as we're getting ready to sing song of praise where we are truly saying thank you 
Jesus for the blood. I pray that we never forget the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and how it has given us salvation and how we are able to walk in righteousness. God, we lift all these things to you. And all God's people say, amen.